You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Our New Testament reading this morning is from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love." If you will keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. And for our Old Testament reading and sermon text, turn to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, verses 9 through 24. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A rebuke goes deeper into the man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. A man of crooked heart does not discover good and one with a dishonest tongue falls into a calamity. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, 
and the father of a fool has no joy. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I, uh, if you didn't hear me at the start, I'm one of the parish elders here at Trinity. It's really good to be able to be up here uh, in the pulpit today. I am not the typical uh, preaching pastor. Brian is uh, on a lovely little trip with Jenny, his wife. Uh, so uh, we will be kicking off Proverbs for the summer. First, let me pray, uh, and then we will get into it. God, as we uh, open your word this morning, I pray that we would have reverence for it. I pray that we would follow it wherever it goes, and particularly, particularly this morning, in where it goes with being able to call someone a friend, that first we must find um, the core of friendship to be in friendship with you, in communion with you. So Lord, may that uh, be something that leads us to worship this morning. And uh, Lord, guide my words. Uh, guide us back to this book and guide us to wise living in friendships. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So, uh, every summer, the last, every summer, that's an exaggeration. This will be the third summer. Uh, and for the foreseeable future, we are in Proverbs. And we're talking about um, rebuilding the culture. So, wisdom... And that idea of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Uh, and wisdom is always, what we're doing when we talk about wisdom is we're, we're, we're finding new ways of delighting in God's law and what it says anywhere we turn. So what does it say about this? What does it say about this kind of relationship? What does it say about this kind of vocation or responsibility that I have or this kind of uh, conflict all these different types of things. Brian likes to talk about the way, the way you should cut brisket. Um, so when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about there's, there's a proper and obedient way to do things. And we're faced with wonderfully diverse opportunities to apply God's law. So may we be a people this summer. May we become more of a people who are always loving what God loves and loving to do as he says. Uh, Proverbs helps us to know how to commit that to excellence, excellency in our lives. And the first place we're turning to in that this summer is friendship. Now, there's a lot here that we could tackle today. There's a lot of different directions that we could take this. I'm not going to be able to cover it all. But what I would like to start with, and what I was thinking about as I was in preparation for this, was... Where do we see that thread in the Bible? Um, biblical theology, think about that term, is uh, you, you pick a word that you see in Scripture, and where do you see that theme? So we're going to pull on that thread first to see uh, where, where do we see friendship, and where does it take us? So first, how can someone be counted as a friend? First thing I want to pull out for us is in the Old Testament, uh, kings have had servants. And those servants were in the courts of their kings. Uh, 
Um, again, this isn't the only, only entry point into this conversation, but it's, I think it's a, a really fascinating one. Because uh, every ruler in their kingdom had a particular goal in mind of what they were looking to express with their own power, of where they were looking to go. And if there were servants who were in alignment with these plans, uh, particularly good servants at executing their goals, they would be brought to the inner circle. And these servants, um, you think of, uh, we don't quite have time to go into <laughs> some good examples of this, but um, some of these servants become friends to kings. And so that should sound a little familiar in what we talked about in our New Testament reading. Uh, Jesus talks about servants that become friends. So hold that thought. And then we're going to talk over here about uh, those who walk with God. Where do you see that in, this, in Scripture? Uh, the Bible names a number of people who walked with God. Uh, Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. I want to take a pit stop at Moses and contrast Moses with Pharaoh. So um, you see in Exodus 33.11... Referring to Moses, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. In the universe uh, that God is king over, you find that there are those who draw near to God. But you also find others that harden their hearts to God. So, um, that's Moses. uh, But then we see Pharaoh. Pharaoh running ten plagues deep in his own kingdom, uh, still hardened his heart toward God. This is a great vignette of um, what we heard in Proverbs 17.11. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. So Pharaoh becomes an enemy of God. In his rebellion, in how self-absorbed Pharaoh was, God sent a messenger against him. Um, God decimated the kingdom of Egypt because of Pharaoh's pride, because he wouldn't let his people go, um, because of his desire for power. And now return to Moses. Moses responds to God with fear of the Lord. If you look at the burning bush, um, one of the starting points of Moses being on mission for God, uh, we see him, even though terrified of what God's asking him to do, we see him persist as a faithful servant. So he chose to abide in God rather than orienting his life around his own power, um, his own will. So this is uh, an essential for what we're pursuing in understanding friendship this morning. Not even looking at friendship with other people yet, uh, we can see how formative it is when we count God as a God who we love or one that we hate. The presupposition for genuine friendship is that we're to trust God no matter where it takes us, rather than persisting in a life that is self-absorbed. Okay, so you hold that thought of where we see friendship in the Old Testament, and now look with me to Jesus. This morning, uh, if we're after what what it means to be a truly good friend, this point is really important. Where friendship to God was once uh, few and far between, we hear Jesus make a really insane statement. John 15, 15. I'm going to be referring to John 15 a few times, so if you'd like to turn there with me, if you've closed your Bibles, um, please open them back up. So in John 15, 
15. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. What does it mean that we're no longer servants, but friends to God? Friends to Jesus. Uh, This question uh, is really important. Uh, It doesn't do away. So it's not like, uh, oh, I no longer have to work because I have faith. There's a similar kind of correlation here. I still need to be a servant, but now God also counts me as a friend. So we're brought into closer, greater intimacy with him. How does that happen? Uh, Talk about how that happens. We actually have to first address the big problem. So what is the big problem? Uh, We've sinned against God. Newsflash. Uh, And we are unrighteous servants. Worthy of condemnation. So in ourselves, we make really lousy friends to God. Uh, we, aren't, we don't delight in what he says. And born um, in this world to be servants of God, we've instead responded like Pharaoh. We are all born as little Pharaohs. So Romans 5, uh, don't feel the need to turn here. I'm just going to reference it briefly. talks about how we were enemies. Paul states that one would scarcely die for a good man, but Christ came and he died for unrighteous sinners. And scripture doesn't contradict scripture. So there's a really blaring question here. How did enemies of God become friends of Christ? I'm going to give you the short answer. If you want the long answer, uh, there is a sermon archive on our website. that goes through all of Romans. You should just go look there. Um, So, short answer is, God persisted in his own graciousness, even when we became worthy of his wrath. Again, in John 15, it says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. So, in the very nature of who God is, he draws people who are crushed in spirit to himself, who see that their own bones are drying up. It crushes their spirit. He draws them to himself. And so Christ came and he did that very thing. He drew us who in our own sin, dried up to the bone, confessed it to him. So again, in Proverbs 17, 9, it says, whoever confesses an offense seeks love. But he who repeats the matter separates close friends. So we could spend a lot of time here, but what's important to know is that Jesus is the greatest love. He took on flesh, covering the, the offenses of those that he calls friends, those he called to himself. So he took our folly on the cross, he crucified it, and we died with him. And so now we're counted as friends of one who is not dead, but who's actually seated at the right hand of God. This point, I keep saying points are important. This is like the ultimate important point. Um, So uh, looking here at the end of verse 15, in John 15, it says, But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So this, this hints hints at a wonderful gift of what friendship with God means. Remember what I referenced with the king's servants. We, they were brought into an inner circle. 
with their king. In Jesus, we have communion with our king. We have communion with this king and access to the very words of God. That's amazing. Uh, We could speak with him. We can pray to him in earnest. We can come to know that his purposes are are for the love of his servants, are for the love of his friends. We're able to trust that everything that happens to his saints is ultimately for their good. And so when our faces are are faced toward that wisdom, as we heard in Proverbs 17, um, we're made able to pursue the heart of what is true, good, and beautiful in the spirit. So I just covered a lot of ground. Um, But I think it's really important ground to cover. Because as we prepare to look into Proverbs 17, we're confronted over and over again with what are the grounds of friendship? What are the grounds of love? You have to know what that's actually centered on. And so I, I would argue that we, we need to establish that union with Christ is um, where genuine, wise friendship can flow from. That is the headwaters from which any true, genuine, solid, good friendship can grow. And so when we attempt to orient service to God around what we have to bring, it fails. Yet when we fr- have friendship... Um, our friendship is centered around what Jesus has done on our behalf, it cannot fail. Setting our thoughts, um, thinking God's thoughts after him. And we, when we do that, we will find, um, sorry, uh, we'll find ourselves coming along with others who are doing the same thing, who are also pursuing what we'll talk about is virtue. So make friendship by delighting in what God says, by laying our lives down for that which is objectively good, what Christ has done for us, and then um, we will become truly wise friends. Truly wise friends to those around us. Okay, so that's friendship with God. And now, from there, um, we can carry this over to a peer level, to friendship with one another. So in these strange days, uh, we might count a thousand people as friends on Facebook or Twitter or followers on Instagram. You might even be an influencer. Um, we can be friends uh, with other people in that context by liking what other people say, by liking the kinds of food they, they eat, the types of things they do. Um, yet the problem is that our, our, our attention is so divided in those friendships, that we can never have a genuinely deep conversation with just a few close friends. We are at risk of never really wading through conflict with friends and getting to a beautiful resolve when I'm happy to uh, ditch one friend for some others, to cancel someone. Uh, So the trouble with associating ourselves with so many people is that we miss that depth Friends uh, are not a necessary relationship. This is the wonderful thing about friendship. Um, so many other relationships are covenantal. Um, and this is, this is just a totally unnecessary gift of God. That uh, in the words of C.S. Lewis, you can be going along in your life and admiring certain things in the world. And this is from The Four Loves. Uh, he's, so you go along and then 
paraphrase, sorry, I didn't do a direct quote here, but uh, you find someone else alongside you admiring the very same thing. And you find yourself saying, oh, you too. Like there's, you see the same thing I do. That is a, a rare gift and an amazing gift. Um, so how do we get there? How do we uh, have a high regard for friendship? There are two tendencies that we'll try to, I'll try to address here um, as we're going through some of Proverbs 17. One might be um, to hide yourself in lots of different friendships uh, in which people never really get to know you. Or the other might be you so badly want a single friend. Um, and this latter form, uh, I've I think of myself and, oh, if, if I could only have it like the good old college days again, have that one close relationship or you name the season, that one friendship I used to have that is no longer. Um, so those might be two tendencies of ways we, um, we miss friendship. But now let's, uh, let's think about what, what happens when we see truly close friends. C.S. Lewis, again, says friendship is an unnecessary thing. Like philosophy, like art, it has no survival value. Rather, it's one of those things that gives value to survival. So as we go through the following, I want to seek to value some friendships over others. And the highest form of friendship, again, is through union with Christ. So there's some level in which we should judge friendships. Um, Is this how valuable is this friendship in my life? Um, does it reflect God's thoughts and benefit the parties involved? Or is it a friendship to be avoided? We'll get back to that with the she-bears. Um, so now turn with me to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, uh, 9 to 24. I'm going to reference this a few times. Um, okay. Okay. I'm going to make three points. We'll hit on a few of these verses. We can't, we can't hit on all of it, but we'll hit on a few. So the spirit, number one, the spirit in which I befriend others deeply matters. Number two, do not befriend fools. You could also hear in that, don't be a fool in a friendship or warn others of being fools. And number three, often sit at a table in joy with good friends. So first... What is the spirit with which I engage others? So friends love one another. And as you might be able to tell from our cultural moment, that word love can be kind of confusing. What do we mean when we say that? So it's important to be able to name um, what gravitates two people together. If a friendship does not have something bigger than ourselves to be oriented around, we end up orienting the relationship around ourselves. We end up uh, maybe with some house rules on uh, what I think good and evil is, on what I think are good ways to go about talking about other people. Um, This is where I think it's really important to name that the the highest form of friendship, it really has to be around an objective good. It has to be around, again, delighting in the things that God loves with one another. It's important to make sure uh, we're orienting the map of our lives to true north. 
So you're looking at the same map as those you're in friendship with around you. Genuine love in a friendship will cause us at times to have to choose between setting our faces toward Christ rather than a friend or pointing them back to Christ. The hope is that this only makes the friendship better. But there also will be times where we're required by our convictions um, to love someone more than we love sin. There are times where a friend uh, might love sin more than they love God. Are we willing to love them? So there's a very important example that I would uh, be doing a disservice if I didn't mention. So here's the Lord of the Rings. Um, In Lord of the Rings, we witness a complexity of relationships, particularly between hobbits. Now, if you look at hobbits, uh, particularly Sam and Frodo, they were simple, unassuming, childlike. They didn't meddle with worldly things like the elves and the humans did. Uh, What a simple hobbit like Frodo was able to accomplish in going to Mordor, I would argue is because they had their they were set apart from the world. They didn't meddle with worldly things. Um, their friendship between Sam and Frodo was able to survive a vast array of trouble because of their, on their journey to Mordor because of having a common objective good that they believed in. And so uh, their love for one another didn't just come from how uh, great the other person was. It came from having the same map having the same way of looking at what love was, what good and evil is. And so friendship, well tended to, takes an interest in loving a friend at all times. Proverbs 17, 17. Which means it's not a fair weather relationship. In consistently loving others, uh, it has a lot of color to show for it. It looks dynamic. Uh, And... Who, who do you know in your life that resembles this kind of friendship? So look, look with me at verse 19. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. I want to uh, look briefly here at that, making his door high and what that means. As I, uh, when I first read that, you know, I would go to somebody's house and I, I think high doors are kind of cool. Um, it's neat if you have a higher door. But uh, I don't think that's what um, Solomon was getting at here. And it's not, it's not totally clear, but I think we can at least say this. Um, making a higher door than everyone else in my neighborhood in ancient times would have been thinking more highly of myself, um, drawing attention to myself. So what do you draw attention to? Are you willing to love a friend at times to point out um, where they might be stumbling in pride? Are you willing to admit that in yourself? Rather than focusing on ourselves in that way, I want to draw out from verse 20 something we should be focusing on. A man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. So friendships are always 
on the move because they are living, good, a good friendship is living the antithesis to this. It is um, always looking to discover good. They're always after honesty because they know their lives are lived before God. And so this, this means a couple things I'd like to draw out here. It means repenting quickly in our transgressions against another. It means taking um, genuine consideration. Again, verse, um, this is drawing a little bit from verse 9. Um, I'm sorry, verse 10. Uh, deeply considering a hard word from somebody else. So have you ever had a friend who carefully brought a hard word before you. Friendship of this sort becomes, um, these kinds of friendships become experts in speaking good words to each other. And sometimes those are hard words. Um, Proverbs 15.23 says, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. So that's, that's my first point on what spirit of what spirit are we engaging? Are we first focused on a self-love or are we focused on something greater than ourselves? Are we living this friendship before God? And second, and our lengthiest item to address is don't befriend fools. And hopefully again, in that you hear, um, don't be a fool. Again, to uh, reference C.S. Lewis, because he just really hits it home in his chapter on friendship, uh, a circle of friends can either be a school a vice or a school of virtue. That's why I've hit on the first point so hard. Uh, I've never known someone that says they intentionally land themselves in a friendship of vices. Um, so instead, we are going to look at what a friendship exhibits. Do you befriend someone because you need something from them? Do you befriend someone uh, out of your own pleasure? Or is it for our mutual love of something greater than yourselves? Uh, Those are really deep questions and questions that in any brief conversation, we might have a hard time naming outright, which is why I think Solomon is just really smart about giving some visuals in this text. So uh, there are three big visuals he gives, um, and I want to look at those three together in verses 10 through 15. Because he was, he was just aware that his kid might, his son might lose his attention. And so he kept drawing him back with um, these great, <laughs> really great visuals. Um, so a three-part warning on being acquainted with fools. Uh, I'm first going to read, uh, I'm going to read these in two verse chunks. So verses 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. First. 10, 11. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. So this can be a really humorous picture. How many times does it take to get something into a fool? Um, 40 lashes was, um, that was like lawfully how many lashes you could give to someone. So often they do just 39 lashes to make sure we didn't, we didn't give uh, one too many on accident. Um, and so 100 blows doesn't make it into a fool. That says something. Um, in real life, that's actually a devastating thing. Uh, there will be times when rebuking a friend goes well and rebuking a friend goes poorly. But what this verse isn't saying is um, it, you're not necessarily responsible for their reaction. 
you're responsible to, in a friend, rebuke them, say a hard word to them. Um, But it may not be clear who is a fool in the moment. So be a friend who is responsibly and prayerfully uh, looking to, um, sorry, let me re-say that, who's who's prayerfully considering their responsibility to rebuke someone. Um, And remember, it's not, you can't control their reaction. Um, And it might be a sign at times if those are just like blows that are not really getting into a friend. So uh, relationship might naturally drift apart. Uh, does that, does it resemble more of Moses or more of Pharaoh? Pharaoh was resistant. Moses was very receptive. He deeply considered what God had to say. And so long as we're counted as friends of someone um, who's doing something foolish, we're to do uh, what verse 9 talks about in covering their offenses, like Christ has covered ours. So whenever it's a matter between the two of you, continue to bring those rebukes. And pray for them. So that's, that's the first pair. Second, um, verses t- uh, 12 and 13. Let a man meet a she-bear, robbed of her cubs, rather than a fool in his folly. If anyone returns the evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. This may be the whole reason I chose this part of Proverbs, because I just wanted to talk about she-bears. Um, so what is this implying? Uh, you're, you're better off, okay, you're better off to meet a mama bear robbed of her cubs rather than a raging fool. Why does Solomon say this? So there's a, a level of seriousness and weightiness that we should consider someone else's vices. It's, this is a hyperbolist statement. I don't know if it's actually Solomon recommending that his son go and find a bear um, instead of a fool, but it's an important warning about what we think of raging fools. When you see a fool raging, it's not something to be curious about. Like, I wonder why they're doing that. Um, that might help somewhere along the way, but um, the, the more that you're in the same circle as them, it hurts your reputation and it shapes you. So when a brother or sister's in their folly, it's, it's not something to just be meddled with. Call them to turn from their sin. Um, men, or anyone who persists in pornography or in lust and the like, remember that those are not harmless things. Do not rage in that. Lacking a serious response to that also, the friends of those people um, who struggle with those things, it, we shouldn't just allow those sins to be desensitized for what they actually are, the death. And so these verses should find uh, also special relevance for children. Kids, um, you should listen to your parents when they have concerns, when they are making judgments about the types of people you're spending your time with. You should consider what they're saying. Uh, Parents, discipling your children to make good judgments of other kids isn't wrong. And it doesn't always mean cutting a relationship off. We want to be gracious to people, to one another, but it does not um, it's not wrong to tell your kids they're not going to spend time with deceitful so-and-so or disrespectful so-and-so. Um, those are actually good things. And you can just mention the she-bear. Say, it's better to meet a she-bear than that. So learn how to discuss that with your kids. Um, help them in learning how to discern 
what friends are good friends to have because friendships truly shape us. And third, um, the third in this list of um, warnings on befriending fools. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. He who justifies the wicked and he who who condemns the righteous are both an abomination to the Lord. So to be clear about um, what that first verse is getting at in verse 14, it's not saying that there's not a time to press into conflict. There absolutely is. Um, Rather, strife. Like strife is a key word there. We have to shed light on that. And when there's out of nowhere emotional reactions to a certain topic coming up. Uh, One commentator draws a uh, a relationship of water um, being from a dam and someone's uh, bitterness or arrogance trickling out. So you see trickling out from a dam, you see bitterness and arrogance. Don't let the floodwaters out. Um, Don't just push on that. Um, be aware of those who react often. Draw boundaries up. Um, in Proverbs uh, 15.1, like, a soft answer turns away wrath. So consider that. Um, how? Secondly in this, in, in um, justifying the wicked, he who justifies the wicked, he, co- he who condemns the righteous, excuse me, um, think about the strange, again, the strange house rules for what is right and what is wrong in certain circles that we might swim in. Do you or anyone else close to you justify things that aren't virtuous for the sake of friendship politics? Um, Do you ever condemn a righteous person because they do things differently than you? Do you, uh, because they, they have things that you don't out of envy, do you condemn them uh, because they might say things that are offensive, but true? All of that, this is really convicting. All of that is an abomination to God. Words, we take words so lightly in our day, but slander and gossip are an abomination to God. For those who struggle with those things, consider what God's saying here. Um, That these words aren't to be taken lightly. Um, Make a practice of going directly to your friends to work it out. Now, in conclusion, to the section on fools, um, it should be stated clear that God's word challenge us, challenges us that we at times might really need to name enemies. Now, there's a difference between having a common interest um, and, and different core beliefs. If you want to be able to name your friends, you have to also be able to name the things that you're against. And that might sometimes mean a friendship can't continue because you can't... <laughs> You, can't, uh, you count the rampant desires of a friend something you can't be associated with. So this, I, this actually particularly draws limits between how close Christians and non-Christians, I, I think, can get um, because you are confronted with various forms in which there's different core values. So we shouldn't be surprised that those who don't fear God um, can't have a closer relationship with you when living in what God loves and what he hates. But we'll return back to that in a moment. So there's two things that I've named so far, which is the spirit in which we are befriending others 
um, in which we're engaging in friendship. And then don't befriend a fool. And then last, uh, often sit at a table, enjoy feasting with good friends. Beholding wisdom, we are to set our face toward it with joy. That comes um, again from here in uh, Proverbs 17.24. So it is a beautiful thing. Uh, I was thinking about what, what parallels can we draw here. It's a beautiful thing when you see someone stake themselves in an industry and just be involved in that for decades. They are able to build something really wonderful. And it is the same way with pay, putting a stake down in particular friendships. So befriend people where you are. Um, befriend local. Uh, befriend other faithful Christians in this church and in the city. Friendships um, ultimately flourish at this table. So we spoke much of Christian friendship. And when we're faced with trouble, um, we can draw back to our friendship with God. Because we, he is the one who's redeeming us individually, but he's also redeeming those relationships. He's redeeming us through friendship. And so two companions um, who meet at this table can be closer because of their friendship with Jesus. And we are given the Holy Spirit who brings us into communion with the triune God. So when friendships face trouble, the amazing thing about being friends with God is we can pray to God about that trouble. And we can come to him face to face. And we can meet again with joy at this table with that person. And the the other party that we should think about with this table is um, non-Christians. Here's what we know. Um, Friendship with our neighbor has to start at the same place. It has to start, um, or the the trajectory, where we're pointing to, needs to be the Lord's table. And now if we truly love our neighbors, we invite them to come and feast with us. Uh, At this table, at the table that destroyed any dividing wall, so are you crushed in spirit? If, you, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, are you crushed in spirit? Do you see um, that apart from Jesus, your bones will dry up? And if you're, um, if you're not baptized, receiving baptism, uh, receiving the sacraments in uh, what it says in, uh, sorry, Proverbs 17.22, a joyful heart is good medicine. Our hearts were dead and we... They have been made alive through the waters of baptism. So in that act, Jesus takes our crushed spirit and gives us hearts of joy. And at this table, um, as we feast together, we're to remember this. Christ has covered all of our offenses. There's no longer any offense that can stand between us and God. There's no longer any offense that can stand between us and another. And so we are made able to laugh and feast together. Would you join with me in praying uh, before we come and feast at the table together? God, I pray for uh, everyone in this room, for our, our church. Would you instill in this body faithful friendships? Friendships that glorify you, that draw you near, um, and ultimately center all things, all, all ways of dealing with conflict, all ways of um, speaking a sweet word or a hard word. 
Lord, we come to this table trusting that um, it nourishes us and that even, even when you've put those um, times of refinement to a friendship, that it, it brings us into worship with you. Um, it refines our hearts so that we can worship you more deeply and truly. Pray these things in your name. Amen.